0: We're dipping back into Palm Sunday. Hi there, welcome to Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. We are looking at the appointment in Jerusalem. Join us. Whether it's the need or the desire for Jesus, not much has changed in 2000 years. The majority will never desire the truth. Hi there, welcome to Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Today we turn our attention to Luke chapter 19 verses 28 through 40, as well as Zechariah chapter nine and verse nine. A message called Appointment in Jerusalem. It's a look at Palm Sunday from the eyes of a skeptic in hopes that we can change the skepticism. With today's broadcast of Graceful Truth, here's Pastor Steve.
1: And without his death and resurrection, uh, he would just be another man. And so uh, whether you're, what your cultural background is, what your different race is, it doesn't matter Uh, It seems that Christians during this week forget all that and they focus on one thing, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's two great events that bracket the Holy Week. The triumphal entry, which happened, we're going to talk about this, most believe on Sunday, but I, I tend to believe it happened on Monday, and I'll explain to you why in a little bit. But also the resurrection of Jesus on Resurrection Sunday, the first day of the week. It encompasses some of this week, encompasses some of the most Uh, precious, sacred things in our Christian faith. And all those things we hold most dear were proved to be true during this great week in Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago. So I want to read the Gospel of Luke this morning. So if you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, we're familiar with this story, we're familiar with the triumphal entry, but I want to read this for us and uh, and then we'll just uh, apply uh, some of the information that we gather here. Verse 28, Luke 19, verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, you know that Jerusalem is up in elevation. Uh, Where had Jesus been during this time? He was down at the Dead Sea near Jericho there. It's probably about 17 miles straight up to Jerusalem from Jericho. It would be quite a hike for anybody. And so that's why I said he went up to Jerusalem. Whenever you go to Jerusalem, you always go up. In verse 29, when he drew near Bethphage and Bethany at the mount, which is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks of you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying blessed is the king who comes in the name of the lord prepare or peace in heaven and glory in the highest and some of the pharisees in the ground in the crowd said to him teacher rebuke your disciples and he answered i tell you if these were silent the very stones would cry out so after coming down from galilee the text tells us there, where he had been for a little while, he went through uh, a region called Perea to the east of the Jordan and, and came back across the Jordan at Jericho, headed up for Jerusalem. Now remember, this is the time of the year, just a little background here on this, uh, it's the time of the year where everybody is coming to Jerusalem. Uh, it's the Passover season. This is where they went to make their sacrifices. And many actually come the way that Jesus was on his way there. So he is with a large group of people already pressing in around him leading up to these days. There was already a lot of people there. Because it was Christ, and he had been in this area uh, healing people and doing miracles, miraculous works, people came out of the woodwork because they were obviously impressed with his ministry. And so this crowd around Christ was much larger than any other Passover uh, some believe there, there could have been upwards of 3 million people, 2.5 million, 3 million people. They say a lamb is for 10 people, and so that's, they know how many lambs were slaughtered, so they can kind of guesstimate how many people were in the area during this Passover season. That's probably why Jesus didn't stay in Jerusalem, because he probably couldn't find a place. And so he goes through Jericho, as you remember, during this time, And he stops for two days and he heals some blind men, blind beggars, who then become not only healed but forgiven of their sins and they become his disciples and now they're part of this group as well. So you have people mixed in the group. They're not all maybe diehard followers of Christ. Some of them are probably just curious. But here you have these blind men in the group going on this journey I mean, can you imagine them looking around, never having seen these things before, and looking at trees, and looking at fruit on the trees, look at all this stuff they're seeing around them, people's faces. I mean, what a wondrous transformation, uh, not only of their vision, but of their souls. It must have been for those blind beggars who were healed. Uh, He also, during that time, reached out to a chief tax collector who was probably one of the most hated men in Jericho because he collected taxes from the Jews and he gave it to the Romans, kind of betraying his own people. And so Zacchaeus, as you remember the story of Zacchaeus, uh, he was converted as well. And then probably a few weeks before, this time we know that Jesus was in the area and he raised a well-known man by the name of Lazarus in the village of Bethany, which is about two miles east of Jerusalem on the way to Jericho. So the crowd is getting bigger and bigger because of all these miracles that Jesus had done. They're probably in line waiting for their miracle. So as they ascend up to this great city amongst all these, these people, They're really hoping that this is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah, and that he is going to bring about the glory of the kingdom of God promised to Israel in the Old Testament. That's what they're looking for. They're not looking for a savior. They're looking for someone who is going to march into Jerusalem with all these people and take over and kick the Romans out and overthrow them. They didn't like being uh, ruled by Rome. But the truth of the matter is, that's not what's in God's plan nor Jesus' mind at all. The truth of the matter is, he simply knows that he's headed where? He's headed to the cross. That's where he's going. As a matter of fact, he's even told his disciples several times in the gospel accounts. Over and over, he keeps on telling them, I've got to go to Jerusalem and I'll be handed over, and they don't get it. They just cannot comprehend this. It doesn't compute, it doesn't register to them. And so he proceeds on his way up the mountain to Jerusalem to face the unbelievable horrors of his death on the cross as God's chosen sacrifice for sin. He heads to the death, really, for which he was born, which the incarnation had to take place for in the first place. It was a ransoming death. It was a redeeming death. It was also a death that reconciled us back to the Father. And so he comes as one who is sinless. He comes to the cross, not because he deserves to be there, but he comes as a sinless one, a sinless sacrifice, willing to take the wrath of God for sinners. He's taking the punishment that was due to us, due to all sinners. And he's willing to bear the sinner's punishment And thus satisfy the divine law, divine righteousness, divine wrath, and open the way for forgiveness. If Christ would not have gone to the cross, we would not have salvation. There's no way. And that's why it's such a precious thing. We sing about the cross, and for most people, back then especially, a cross was not something to be praised. A cross was not something to be glorified. A cross was something to be feared. If you were going to the cross, you were going to die. There was no doubt about it, and it was going to be a miserable death. But he comes to not only die, but he comes, as we know, to be risen, to be raised on the third day. And when he rose from the dead, he not only conquered death, but he conquered sin for all who believe. And then we know the life of Christ, he ascends into heaven. And he leaves the gates of heaven wide open for all who believe and who are willing to come to him for forgiveness and follow him. But make no doubt about it, he comes here to die. That's his purpose. That's his plan. It's the plan of God. Now later he will come back and he's not going to die then. What's he going to do? He's going to rule. He's going to reign. Uh, really with with an iron fist. So it's it's... The time in which we live now is the age of grace, we call it, the church age, the time where you can come to Christ, repent of your sins, turn from your sins, turn to the Savior, and you know what? You're forgiven. But in the future, that won't be. After the church is taken up and after Christ returns to the earth in glory to reign and rule for a thousand years, it's too late. And so you don't want to meet Christ as your judge, trust me. It's much better to meet Jesus as your Savior, as one who's willing to forgive you, not willing to judge you. Because if Christ judges you, I guarantee you, you will be found guilty. We all are guilty. The Bible says that we all have sinned. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. So he's come, the sinless one has come to, to face the wrath of God for sinners, to bear sinners' punishment, and satisfy uh, God's divine righteousness and divine wrath and open up the way of forgiveness for us. Well, up to this point, when you think of the life of Christ, you think of someone who is pretty humble. If you remember, when Jesus was doing his miracles and everything, it was the disciples who were constantly trying to, you know, get the fervor going. And sometimes Jesus would just shut everything down. You remember, I mean, you know, there were times when he had thousands of people at his beck and call and he'd say, "Up, oh, see you later, I'm out of here. Or when people would try to give him adulation, he didn't want it. He never allowed that kind of open display of, of uh, honor in any way up to this point. Now, it doesn't mean because he wasn't the Messiah, he had always been the Messiah. He was always the king. He really even always was demonstrating his deity, showing that he was God over and over and over again. There's no doubt about that, but he put his deity on display constantly. But whenever someone would would try to worship him, try to exalt him, he didn't want it. And you say, well, I wonder why that is. Uh, I mean, it would have been right. He's God. He's the Messiah. Why wouldn't he want that kind of worship? Why wouldn't he want someone to celebrate the glorious nature of his being? But he never allowed it. In fact, if it ever began, he actually stopped it. He caused it to stop. This is the only time here on his ride into Jerusalem that he allowed it. And you may ask why? Well, because it's God's time. This is God's perfect plan unfolding before our eyes. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, the religious leaders were intimidated by him. Not just at the end, the whole time. They were intimidated by him. It didn't take long for that intimidation to turn to hatred. And very early, really, even in his ministry, the religious leaders of Jesus' time wanted him dead. They said, This guy is stealing our thunder. We don't like this individual. And there were plots to execute him very early on in his ministry. And so Jesus knew, being God, that if he had any kind of massive public display that would, that would lead to them thinking that somehow these people are going to crown him king and follow him and worship him, those hated leaders would really bring about a premature death of Christ, And so he really manipulated them in every way. But now it's time for him to die. It's God's time. Now he is intent on inflaming his enemies against him. It's exactly the right time because he knows he wants to be on that cross on Friday. Isn't it funny how God's timing is never off in our lives? Sometimes we think it is, we think, man, why is this happening now in my life? But God knows exactly what's happening in your life, and he's allowing it to happen for a very specific purpose. You may not understand it at the time, but that's okay. Don't ever think that things happen by accident or that somehow they, they happen outside of the purview of the God that saved you and the God that you serve. Our Lord is sovereign over all those things. And so it should cause us to pause when we're faced with a trial or a temptation or anything, realizing that, hey, you know what? This isn't catching God by surprise. Why should it catch me by surprise? But now here it's time for Christ to die. He needed to be on that cross by Friday. And he intends to set in motion such a hatred at a massive level that the leaders of Israel can no longer wait to eliminate him. They're gonna bring about his death. He wants to die by God's plan and he will die on Friday because Friday is what Friday is the Passover. Friday is when all the people will sacrifice their Passover lambs. And he is the one true sacrifice for sin, pictured above all the other offerings that we see in scripture. And so his timing is divine, his timing is perfect. The public display must happen now and only now. And so that's exactly what, what begins to happen as you read through the text. There are a lot of people, as I said, may, may have been upwards of three million people. History tells us there's a record that says that there was 260,000 Passover lambs slaughtered. Can you even imagine that? That's a lot of blood. <laughs> that's a lot of stuff happening. And they say because, like I said, the one lamb for 10 people is about 2 million, 3 million people. It's huge. Some people estimate the crowd that was actually coming with Jesus was a quarter of a million people, 250,000 people traveling with Christ into Jerusalem. You could see where the religious leaders would be a little unnerved. You could see even where the the Romans were a little unnerved. And it it accomplished its goal. It it pressed all the, the buttons necessary to activate his enemies to get his death done fast and quickly. That's exactly what they needed to be done. What they did out of hatred was what God determined would be done out of love. See, God even uses the enemies for his plan, for his purpose. And Jerusalem had to be the place, because Jerusalem were, was where all the sacrifices were made at that time. That's where the altar was, that's where the temple was, that was God's city, that was the holy city, the temple city, the place where God met his people, the place where God was worshipped, and the only place where sacrifices were made. So he had to be there in God's cities where, where God met his people and where sacrifices were offered for sin. So Jerusalem is the place, the time is now, and it has to be this Passover, Some commentators say it has to be this Passover in A.D. 30. They believe that's when it actually happened. And the reason they believe that is because that's exactly 483 years after Daniel's prophecy. Back in Daniel chapter 9. The prophecy of Daniel coming from God that was in the the 69 times 7 weeks. 7 weeks of years. 69 times 7 weeks. The Messiah would be cut off. He would be killed 483 years from the decree of Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes made his decree in 444 BC. So, 483 years later, the prophet says the Messiah will be cut off. That's the year AD 30. It's amazing how the Bible just all fits together. It's not by chance, it couldn't happen by chance, it's God's plan. It must happen in this city in this year, and it must happen on Friday when the Passover lambs are executed. Now, I made a statement earlier. A lot of people call it Palm Sunday. Uh, There's some people that believe it happened on Monday, the triumphal entry. And I believe that, and I'll tell you why. Palm Sunday is probably most likely, this triumphal entry probably happened on Monday, not Sunday. A little background here might help us. Um, The Gospel of John, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark and Luke, they all describe these events together. And they all give us little tidbits of information that we can put together in a timeline. And when you fit all the details together, the story is complete. It makes perfect sense. Well, in John chapter 12, it tells us that Jesus visited Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now, they were a family, obviously, that Jesus loved. He had raised Lazarus from the, the dead, Before this time, they lived in Bethany, two miles east of Jerusalem, behind the Mount of Olives. And so it's a little village. It's tucked behind the mountain. And he stayed with this family that he loved, the two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they had a brother named Lazarus. Well, John says this, that he came there to visit them six days before Passover. That makes it probably Saturday on the Jewish Sabbath. He came there. As he faced the coming week of his impending death, all the pain he was going to go through, he sought the comfort of his beloved friends. Seems kind of makes sense to do that, to reach out to those who love you when you realize you're going to be dead in a matter of days. And while he was just with his friends there, you remember Mary anointed his feet with that costly perfume. You remember that? And he wiped, she wiped, him, uh, wiped his feet with her hair. And she shows that she's devoted to him. And at the end of that event, remember Judas, the treasurer, the one that would betray him, was furious. He was angry because he thought, what a waste. Well, he didn't think that he was going to go feed the poor. He wanted that money. That was his intent. And so the Bible says, he said that because he held the purse, he wanted out, and he wanted out with as much money as he could get. That's what his intentions were. That all happened on Saturday. Well, the next day was Sunday, and If the timeline is right, a great number of Jews came from Bethany, came to Bethany to see Christ. They knew he was there. They knew where he was staying. They heard about all these people pouring into the city of Jerusalem, and they knew that Christ was in Bethany, so they went to visit him. And in John 12, 9, it says they came there not just to see him, but it says they came there to see Lazarus. This is the guy that was raised from the dead. I mean, if there was a guy in Redwood City that was raised from the dead, I'd want to go see him, wouldn't you? ask him, what was it like? What happened? I mean, everybody knew that Lazarus was dead. He was very well known, and everybody knew that he was raised from the dead by Christ. That's on Sunday, the first day of the week. In fact, the crowd was so huge that John tells us in the next verse that the chief priests took counsel, not just how they would kill Christ, but they wanted to do in Lazarus too. They said, this guy's getting too much press. Let's just kill him. So they wanted Lazarus dead. Why? Because he was evidence. He was evidence that Christ did something miraculous. So here's the, here's the chronology. That would basically put the triumphal entry on Monday. It works better on Monday because the crowds come to him on Sunday. He arrives at their home on Saturday. The crowd comes on Sunday. And on Monday, he comes into the east gate of the city. And what happens if you believe that it was Sunday? You have Wednesday, and there's nothing happening on Wednesday at all. If you hold to a Palm Sunday version versus a Palm Monday version. So it seems kind of odd that there would be nothing happening in the middle of the week of the, the last day of Christ's death. Wednesday is blank if you have them on Sunday, but if you have them coming on Monday, it fills up.
0: Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. And directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650 650- 366 9923. That's 650 366 9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. And while you're at our website, don't forget to download our mobile app, new and improved and ready to use. Whether you're securely donating online or taking advantage of the podcasts on your mobile phone, simply go to iTunes or Google Play and look for Grace Bible Church, Redwood City CA, or stop by our website, gracefultruth.org and follow the prompts. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today, and trust we'll see you next week at this same time. For another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.